New York City terror attack on Halloween gave us more of a scary Halloween than we were expecting. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, people had dreams of uh, having a fun Halloween, and uh, typically they were planning on putting on costumes, some of them out scary, but there's a big difference between putting on scary costumes and scaring each other, going trick-or-treating or at parties and so on, and the real scare that occurred in Lower Manhattan on Halloween Day. Of course, I'm talking about the terror attack that was perpetrated um, by a terrorist, a 29-year-old man from um, Uzbekistan, and he, his name is Seifulo Saipov, um, and he, he had other plans for Halloween. He had, he had plans to, to scare people, but without putting on a costume. In fact, uh, he was following the ISIS playbook by heart, the typical things that ISIS recommends, uh, that is nowadays to take a truck or a car, preferably a truck so you can kill more people, drive down the street, and kill as many people as you can. I mean, we saw this in Nice, we saw it in London, we saw it in Germany. I mean, this is the new trend uh, for ISIS because it's a lot easier than learning bomb-making skills and figuring out how to make an explosive. I mean, that's not to say that they don't still have that in mind and cooking up, um, but, but it is so easy for someone as um, Mr. Uh, Saipov uh, proved, Saipo proved to just rent a car, rent a truck, and um, and go on a on a ben, a binge um, to create terrorist havoc. So let's look at what happened, and then I want to talk about what's been happening with um, the news of it and how people are reacting. This is, this is major denial going on, uh, major let's get over it and get back to business going on, and this is very, very unhealthy for all of us, especially our children. So first, let's talk about what happened. Um, Halloween day, Mr. Saipov took a truck, as I said, and he rented, he rented a truck in New Jersey where he was living, and he drove down in the Hudson River Park bike path along West Street from, from Houston Street to Chambers Street in Lower Manhattan. And what, of course, was particularly eerie was that it was right near uh, Ground Zero. And believe me, that was not a coincidence. He did not just pick that spot um, because it was a coincidence, you know, rather than because it was close to Ground Zero. He also apparently picked Halloween because he looked up Halloween on the internet and saw that people uh, are on the streets, you know, going trick-or-treating, but he kind of fortunately missed that timing of that a little bit. Uh, I think that was probably a cultural thing. He didn't realize that um, people usually go trick-or-treating a little later than three o'clock. You know, it was, it was between, well, it was between three and six that this whole thing 
uh, took place. But he, he kind of, he did it a little early, started out a little early for there being um, a, a load of people in the street going trick-or-treating, not to mention that they probably wouldn't be on the bike path as much. But in any case, he did enough damage. Eight people were killed and approximately 12 people were injured. And of these eight people, there were five from Argentina, one from Belgium, and, um, and the 11 others were, the, the 12 dozen others were mixed. Um, so he, he drove down, he you know, zigzagged down the streets, killing the people and injuring the people until he crashed into a school bus. Now, unfortunately, it was a, well, unfortunately, it was a school bus, first of all, uh, and even more unfortunate, it was a school bus carrying um, special needs children. You know, the, the ability, this course would be traumatic for any children in the bus and the teachers and the children uh, in the schools nearby, but, um, but for special needs children, it's going to be even more difficult to do therapy with them and help them to calm down and process this. So when he was stopped by crashing into the school bus, he then jumped out of his truck carrying a, uh, two guns, which turned out to be paintball guns and pellet guns. And he was fortunately shot in the abdomen by a policeman who was there and he was arrested and he's now in Bellevue Hospital which is my alma mater that's where I did my psychiatry residency training I kind of missed out on I boy would I love to um, to analyze him love to be his psychiatrist uh, and he in fact at this point is uh, boasting he didn't die he you know they did surgery on him they treated him uh, like they would treat any patient other than the security around him but um, he is boasting about what he did he's proud of what he did he asked for an ISIS flag to be brought into his room he wants to to you know boast about who he did this for and in fact there was a note in his truck that they found um, that said something like uh, ISIS will endure forever. And he had a, an ISIS flag in the uh, truck as well. So he wants everybody to know that he did this for ISIS. He was apparently planning this for uh, a year, planning to have an attack for a year. He, his cell phone has thousands of images of ISIS and including videos and including videos of trucks running people over for ISIS. So he, he launched onto this truck um, idea about uh, two months ago. He you know, decided on that, how that, that would be his means of attack. And, um, and he's been planning this, and he did some dry runs and so on. And he rented the truck before, and they, there were some other friends of his who were riding in the truck with him as he was driving it around so that he would be able to get more skilled driving this kind of truck around. And um, he wanted to kill children in particular. They have said that, or he has said that, or they also got it from his, his um, looking into his, doing the investigation, looking on his phone, his, his uh, Google searches, and so on. And, um, you know, what's also typical isn't just the means of attack, isn't just the truck, um, 
mowing down people. It's also um, the psychology behind why he decided to uh, do an attack on behalf of ISIS in the first place. And I have talked about this when I've analyzed other terrorists who have committed attacks that have been in the news, noteworthy ter terrorists. Um, in fact, he came to the United States and uh, he, he, from Uzbekistan in 2010, and he um, sort of worked as a truck driver. <laughs> Very convenient for one. No wonder he picked uh, the truck as a means of carrying out an attack. He wasn't a bomb maker, so, you know, being a, driving a truck seemed like uh, the most effective way of doing things. Um, and apparently he wasn't doing very well in his, in his financial life and in his career. He had hoped to latch on to the American dream more and uh, to be in a better state at this point, you know, to have, um, to have more money, basically, and to have a more, um, more secure career. So um, he originally went to Ohio, then he went to Florida, then he went to New Jersey, which is Patterson, New Jersey, which is where he was living at the time that he committed this attack. And he has, he married a woman in, um, uh, in 2013. He um, married a woman named Nozima Odolova, and she's 24. So in 2013, approximately four years ago, she was 20. And uh, they've, they've investigated her. And she's saying, of course, that she you know, didn't know anything about it, as all the wives say. But actually, I kind of think that that may, may be true with her. Uh, it's, you know, there isn't enough investigation done yet to know for sure. But she was fairly young and innocent. He's 29, so he's five years older. And I think he purposely picked a wife who um, he could dominate. They have three children, two daughters, two and four, and one little boy who was born this year. Um, he actually, actually, getting back to his work, he actually lost his truck job because his truck blew up. Um, and without a truck, he wasn't able to get, you know, jobs driving a truck. Um, and I don't know why he couldn't get a job working for a company that had trucks, but that's, I guess we're going to find that out. Anyhow, after he couldn't drive a truck anymore, his truck anymore, he became a driver for Uber. And he um, has been driving for Uber, Uber for a, the last six months. Now, it's interesting. We're finding, you know, these terrorists are ending up driving for Uber or driving for Lyft. There was another terrorist just recently who was um, an Uber and a Lyft driver. I mean, that's an e and they say that they do background checks, but obviously they don't check enough, well enough, into these people's, their driver's background. I guess because they have so many drivers and, uh, and they need so many drivers and um, it is not really very well done, very carefully done. Um, now, he came into the country in the first place by a, the visa lottery that got him a green card. And then apparently um, he or typically people who go through the lottery and get a green card call in members of their family. So it becomes, it's not just the person who won the lottery 
but their family did as well as these people typically call in, you know, family member after family member after family member, and they are not well uh, vetted. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and, and I thought this, and then a, a cop who was being interviewed, and I don't recall his name, um, he said that the he thought that the man was looking for suicide by cop. And that's what I thought, too, because he came out of the truck with his two guns blazing. They were fake guns, so he wasn't going to be able to kill anybody. Of course, it's interesting. He had knives in the truck, uh, which is a typical thing that terrorists do after they smash their truck into people. Um, they then come out with knives or guns. <laughs> And so, um, anyhow, so, so the fact that these guns were fake would have made it more likely that, you know, kind of what happened, that he would be shot at by a cop and uh, he expected to be killed. But now he's apparently very happy that he wasn't killed and that uh, he can boast to everybody about what he did and why he did it for ISIS, that he's a martyr and, you know, he... Um, deserves praise from ISIS and so on. So um, people who knew him said, in fact, one person said he was simmering with disillusionment over financial and career setbacks. And they describe him as aggressive and disagreeable, not happy with his life. This is what typically, typically happens when, why people get radicalized, how these are the people who are vulnerable to becoming radicalized. They're not happy with their life. They're disillusioned. They didn't make the American dream. They watch ISIS videos and chat rooms and all of this on the internet and they become radicalized. So it's not just the uh, truck that is the typical ISIS pattern, but it is who becomes a terrorist, the fact that he became a terrorist because of these typical problems, his typical life situation that is significant. Now, of course, when he got out of the truck with his guns, um, he yelled, Allahu Akbar, which doesn't mean God is great. It actually means God is greater. I have been saying, you know, in, if you listen to previous podcasts where I talk about this or things that I've written and so on, um, uh, you know, like, like uh, tweets and so on, um, uh, I, I will have written God is great, but it actually should be translated as God is greater. In other words, that they believe that their God is greater than other people's gods. So... Um, so now, what is this, what is the impact that this is having on us? First of all, you know, one of the things that I thought of when I looked at the map as to where this attack was taking place, I realized that I had been at that spot um, in September when my book was launched um, from the New York Fire Museum, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, oh my, how to protect your child in a time of terror. And I did a launch at the uh, New York City Fire Museum because it has an exhibit about 9-11. And I happened to stay in a hotel that was right near where this Halloween attack occurred. So, um, so it had some personal value, not to mention the fact that I was, I'm a born and bred New Yorker and that that's why when 9-11 occurred, I changed my life or it changed my life. 
I decided at that point to become the terrorist therapist and to help people, help families um, carry on in the face, uh, keep calm and carry on in the face of terrorism. And that's what I have been doing since then. So every time New York is hit, you know, it is an, a, a particular wound. And of course, New York is a prime, still a prime target for terrorists. So, but how are people reacting to this? Now, it's very interesting. You know, of course, on the one hand, um, because it was on Halloween, um, it w affected people. I mean, you know, the parade still went on, but with more in, in New York and lower Manhattan, it went on, but um, with more police. Um, and, but undoubtedly, not as many people went trick-or-treating out in the streets. Um, and, and of course, it, it also had a greater impact because it was near ground zero. But, you know, the interesting thing, the sad thing to me, is that, um, like, the next day, or certainly by today, this story is no longer top of Google News. I mean, it is such a testimony to how desensitized we have gotten. Now, the, there were reports originally about how this is the worst attack New York has had since 9-11, and of course, the number of people killed and injured were nowhere near the same, but um, it, it, was, uh, it was the worst in the sense that, that, I mean, with the other the explosives that were put into trash cans and so on that have happened. I mean, nothing has killed and injured as many people. Um, even though, as I said, it was a you know, far cry from the 3,000 almost, or it's actually, you know, it's always said that approximately or almost 3,000 people died in the Twin Towers on 9-11. Well, actually, the number is a lot bigger because since 9-11, the people who have been at Ground Zero and who have been contaminated by the toxins from Ground Zero, all the rescue work that they did and the, the restorative work that they did and all of that, they are paying with their lives uh, because they have gotten sick, mostly with cancer and so on. So the death toll and the injury toll is far greater than what was originally thought. So it doesn't compare with this, but on the other hand, it does in the sense that, um, you know, this was someone who had this intentional terror attack and would have actually killed and injured a lot more people had the truck not crashed into this school bus. So, um, so, so even though it's, it was said in the, on the first day that this was the worst attack since 9-11, it's now... <laughs> you know, getting somewhat buried in the news. And people are going on about their life trying to forget about it. And, um, you know, the, the effects that it would have had at the time, and I dare say really is still having, uh, but unconsciously, is that because, because it was so close to ground zero, um, it will have triggered PTSD in New Yorkers in particular, and certainly um, in people outside of New York, but especially New Yorkers, especially people living close to the, who lived close to the Twin Towers, um, and, and especially triggering this uh, uh, 
you know, of course, children today weren't born, young children weren't born on 9-11 2001, but they have been told about it. They have uh, probably visited Ground Zero, especially in Lower Manhattan or all of Manhattan or, you know, uh, not as many people um, as I would have hoped would have been down visiting the two museums there and so on. But in any case, I mean, it's 9-11 is not a secret from kids. Let's just put it that way. And so it would, and we just had the anniversary of 9-11. <laughs> and so it, it, it will still trigger things, memories and all of that, even in kids, memories of how we've celebrated the anniversaries. So um, what does this mean? You know, it means that people, since then, though, have tried to push all of this down and not given um, enough attention to taking care of themselves and especially taking care of their children uh, in school and as parents to process this. And when you, when you just ignore something or deny something, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have an impact on you. It does. It's just that now it is having an unconscious impact. You know, once the day kind of goes by, the Halloween day, and um, as people try more and more to forget about it, um, it is still affecting us unconsciously because it's something called cognitive dissonance, where on the one hand, we take all this information in, but on the other hand, we deny it and throw it out and, and pretend that we're over it. And, um, and it affects us in other ways, like, like the ways that we are being, um, that America is being affected still by 9-11. And that is the increase in people who are, the, the obesity epidemic, the increase in people who have been eating more and more comfort food, the increase in people uh, abusing drugs and alcohol, the increase in people committing suicide. Now, do you think that the people are thinking to themselves, even when they're eating, <laughs> do you think to yourself, um, well, I'm eating because of 9-11 and, and, you know, I'm still anxious because of 9-11, so I need comfort food. The world is a crazy, dangerous place and I need to comfort myself. Most people do not connect that, nor do they connect it when they abuse alcohol or drugs, nor when they're in the process of committing suicide are they saying to themselves, well, I'm doing this because of 9-11. So that's the danger when you push things into your unconscious mind, you can't uh, address them. And you then get impacted, not to mention all the people who have gotten sick. And I'm not just talking about the, I'm not talking now about the people who went uh, to ground zero to help. I'm talking about all of us who have gotten sick uh, psychosomatically because of being affected by 9-11 and the anxiety that we still feel and the depression if we lost someone in 9-11 and so on. So it is really dangerous to just become desensitized and pretend that this whole thing didn't exist or if it existed, you know, thank goodness um, it didn't, it wasn't worse. So The, um, the, there's a, a, a uh, what, you know, what bothers me about these things, what bothers me most and why I wrote a book about this is because 
um, children, you know, as adults do this, as adults tell themselves, oh, well, let's just, you know, it's over with, let's not think about it anymore, kids are unconsciously impacted as well. And kids are feeling scared and sad and bad and mad. But when adults pretend to themselves that it really isn't bothering them, they aren't able to pick up in their kids that it is bothering them. You know, they're not able to pick up the symptoms, the things, they're, like for example, if a child regresses, if a, if a young child starts bedwetting again because of, of this attack that just happened in Lower Manhattan, because of terrorism, because of, um, you know, because adults, their, their parents and teachers aren't talking to them about it, so they're all confused. They see this stuff on television. It's not like they're going to, you know, they're, gonna, they're in a bubble. So they get sick psychologically and physically, and there's nobody for them to talk to about it. So let me tell you, there's this article that just came out uh, today um, in the New York Times. It says, New York Today, terrorism crisis mode for a principal again. And it talks about the principal of Veronica Najjar, uh, the, the, she's the principal of PS89, and that is the school that was right near the terror attack of Halloween. And uh, in fact, the kids were in the process of being let out of school, and there were 433 kids in the schoolyard. So they, you know, the teachers and the staff um, hurried up and, and uh, got the kids inside. Of course, the parents were freaking out outside, but they got the kids inside and uh, to keep them safe because, you know, who knew at that point uh, what else was going to happen? Maybe there was another car, a truck that was going to be coming down and killing people like this first one. So that was the right thing to do to bring them inside. But then let me tell you, read to you what, um, what else she said, which unfortunately is not, even though she means well, she, clearly this is a woman, she said this is the second, you know, she had to deal with September 11th. So, um, so she said, with kids, they can feel more of the panic when their adult is also panicked. I also had to let the parents know that it was their job to stay calm so that their kids would stay calm. Because with kids, it's often the aftermath that has ripple effects. Now, some of that is true. Um, you know, yes, absolutely. If an adult is panicked, kids do feel more panicked. Uh, I don't know about it being the job of the parents to stay calm, but because the, because the thing is that if parents are panicking or teachers are panicking and they tell their kids, oh, there's nothing to worry about, I'm not scared, kids sense that they are panicked or scared. And that makes the kids more scared because now they realize they can't trust these adults to tell them the truth and they don't know what's going on. And then, um, so not that the parents should say, oh, I'm panicked and you should be panicked too. But, you know, there are lots of other things you can say, like we're going to be, we're safe now and, and we're going to be finding out what's going on. And, and, you know, we'll talk more about this, um, about what happened. So then she also said, um, um, she said, in the coming days, teachers will be dispelling rumors and keeping an eye out for unusual behavior, atypical silence, 
ceaselessly talking about the attack, sleep problems, exaggerated clinginess. Those all are some of the things that can happen. There are a lot more uh, symptoms, too, that can be signs of stress from this terror attack. And then she said, but there's one word you won't hear her staff. Oh, wait, this is the writer. He said, but there's one word you won't hear her staff mention. And now it quotes terrorism. And the principal said, the students are too young. We just make sure that we're giving kids the facts that are not overly explicit or overly graphic. When you stick to the facts with kids without giving them any embellishment or emotion with it, they are usually very satisfied. They just want to know that you're being truthful with them. Well, how on earth can you be truthful if you don't tell them that it was terrorism, that he was a terrorist? When the kids are going to go home that night, I am sure, that night, when they got home, uh, unless their parents totally kept the television off, which is unlikely since the parents wanted to know what was going on, uh, the kids heard the word that this man was a terrorist and, and they wanted to know, well, what's terrorism? So now I recommend, uh, you know, this is why I wrote the book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to how to protect your child in a time of terror. Now, by protecting your child, I don't mean uh, not telling them the truth. I mean telling them the truth, but in words and with feelings and in doing certain things to help them process their feelings and to not scare them, but to, um, to tell them at their age level and their uh, psychological maturity what they can understand. Now, my book is for kids 5 to 12, so it is exactly for elementary school kids, the kids that she's saying you shouldn't say, tell, use the word terrorism for. Now, the reason why I say that... Uh, that you need to tell the truth, like, so, okay, so let's say the parent, you know, the parent tells their child that it was a terrorist who was in the truck, and the next thing the kids are going to say is, what is a terrorist? And then, you know, I recommend in, now my book, the first half of the book is for grown-ups, for parents and teachers, and the second half is a picture book for kids. So, like, for example, it, in, in the part, in the picture book where it says, what is a terrorist? Um, I have a picture of two kids, a bully, a bullying a little, littler kid um, in the playground. And I say a terrorist is like a bully in the playground. And then I have a, a page where kids are asked to draw what they think a terrorist looks like. And then I go into more details about I do say that terrorists are called many names like ISIS and ISIL and Al Qaeda and so on. And, um, and uh, I do also use the words radical Islamist terrorist, and I explain at the same time that they're called radical Islamist terrorists because most Muslims are peaceful and aren't terrorists. So all of these things are things that children not only can understand, but they need to understand because when they see pictures on television of terrorists who look like you know, we all know it, that they're, they're not blondes in bikinis, then if you're um, not, you know, answering those questions, then you're going to be creating Islamophobia if you don't dispel Islamophobia at the same time as you're explaining about terrorism. So all of these things need to be done. And, um, 
And it's really, it's really sad because to, to have children left stuck with their feelings and um, becoming psychologically and physically ill because they don't have anybody to answer their questions. Now, here's a question. Here's a, um, an email that I got from Gail in New York City. She wrote, Dear Terrorist Therapist, but for the grace of God, that could have been me or one of my friends or family members who was run over by the crazy terrorist in Manhattan. My kids didn't want to go out trick-or-treating on Halloween night after that, so I called some other parents and we made a party at our house with costumes and candy. Should I have made them go out to show those terrorists we're not afraid? Well, that's a great question, Gail, and it, you know, it's, it can be, um, it can be generalized to, should I not let my kids go to concerts because they know that there was the, a terrorist at the Ariana Grande concert who killed and injured a lot of people. The answer is that it really depends upon your child. I mean, you know, as the whole, in a whole, as a general rule, uh, I tell people that we want to show our kids and we want to show, show other people that we are not afraid and that we um, uh, are going to go about our business, having fun, uh, going to restaurants, going to movies, going to concerts, going on airplanes, doing all the things that we normally do. However, when there is, in this kind of situation, when there is something that happened that day and um, kids are scared of, of going out in the street, you know, uh, especially in Manhattan, but really anywhere in New York, and really anywhere in other, I'm, I'm sure it happened, kids were asking this question in other places in America as well, then you kind of have to judge how upset your child is. And I think that was a very resourceful and creative thing to do, to call parents and make, a, you know, you don't want to say to this year we're not celebrating Halloween because that's uh, going to disappoint them and just leave them to sit in their room and ponder the terror attack. Um, so it, it was a very creative way of handling it, and I'm sure the kids had a lot of fun at the, at the party that you created. So you sort of always have to judge about how your child is, whether there are other things going on in their life that's upsetting them as well. Uh, and as a general rule, as I said, to not stop doing things, normal things that you would do. But, I mean, you know, if kids who would have my book, where the parents and teachers were um, taught in the book, read how to talk to kids about terrorism and what to do, what signs to look for in their behavior. Uh, these are, and, and I give 88 ways that um, parents and teachers, things the parents and teachers can do to help make kids resilient. You don't have to wait for a terror attack to uh, talk to kids about terrorism, since we hear something about terrorism every day on the news. And um, that is how you build resourcefulness and resilience in your kids. And of course, if you go through this book, the picture part of the book for the kids, they are able to understand these things in a very calm, gentle manner so that when there are terrorist attacks in one's neighborhood or in one's country or even in the rest of the world, you know, in France, for example, they are not as panicked because they understand it. So with that, I will give you my, um, where you can go 
Well, first of all, I want to give you where you can go to buy the book um, because that's, you know, this is so much more important now. Uh, and this is, and it's going to be getting more and more important because obviously these terror attacks are not going to be stopping. So um, you can buy the book in bookstores, you know, wherever books are sold, in, in retail, brick and mortar bookstores, uh, online. And you can also uh, buy them from the publisher's website, which is probably the easy, easiest and least expensive place to go. And that is www.terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four kids. Dot com. And to find out more information about me and to see my other blogs and, and um, blogs, I mean, and, and podcasts, you can go to terroristtherapist.com, www.terroristtherapist.com. <laughs>